Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my first season. This is part five in the series, Amazing Women Doing Amazing Things. I came across my next guest by reading her excellent article from May of 2022 in Outside Magazine called Searching for Home in the Guiding Life. She is a backpacker, rock climber, experienced wilderness guide, writer, photographer, artist, and also a trail runner. She is a seasoned wilderness therapy guide and very passionate about supporting mental health. In 2017, she took a National Outdoor Leadership School course that lasted 89 days. And of course, if you know me, <laughs> then you know I have to ask her all about that. From Sandpoint, Idaho, please help me give a warm welcome to Erin Phillips. Hey, Erin, how are you today? Hey, Greg. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm honored that you reached out to me and that we oh. get to have this conversation. Oh, no, great. Thank you for uh, for getting back to me and agreeing to do this. It's very kind of you. Yeah. Well, me too. I'd like to get into, I like to know people's origin story in a way. So, I mean, if you wouldn't mind taking me back a bit, did your, uh, I guess, love of the outdoors start when you were younger? In a way, but um, not in the traditional sense. I grew up in Maryland, kind of in the suburban areas, and I had a little patch of woods in the backyard that I really loved exploring back there and just taking some short walks, but it was kind of limited to that little patch in my backyard. I had never experienced wide open spaces um, like I have since I moved out West. But now looking back, like it was after college that I really started getting into the outdoors. And after college is when I did move out West for the first time. But yeah, looking back, I'm like, I have always had this attraction to, to being outside and just how I could be myself in those those spaces. And speaking of college, and as I explained to you, I'm working for a university for the last 15 years. I've been looking at you know the activities and societies you belong to. And well, I'm also a student there too. So I know what uh, what a lot of work you must have put in at Towson University in Maryland, uh, National Le- Leadership Honor Society, Tri Beta Honor Society, Tau Sigma Honor Society. <laughs> you were club soccer team captain. So it's, it seems like you were quite the achiever in, in university. Yeah, I definitely focused on achievement then. <laughs> now, honor society, does this mean you have to have a certain GPA or maintain a certain GPA? Yeah, it was mostly around GPA. Yeah, we did like a couple like community service oriented projects. But yeah, it was mostly around academic achievements within school, which, yeah, when I was going to college, I wanted to become a doctor. And it was a goal that I had in my mind since I was a little kid. And so excelling in academics was like, the path that I saw to get there. And I didn't really even know what other options were available, but I, I put my all into that because it was what was in front of me and it taught me a lot of lessons and it, and it served me well. But now sometimes I do laugh about how hard I tried at school because <laughs> I, yeah, stressed myself out many, many nights and put a lot of energy into it. And now I'm not doing anything with the degree, but but it did teach me a lot of valuable lessons about how to how to put the work in and how to study study hard and achieve results. Well, I'll say because you know I know how hard it is to maintain uh, you know a certain GPA, whether it's three or three point five. But you still found time, and to make it even more difficult, you wanted to play soccer at, uh, yeah. at that level. Okay, can I ask why? Okay, <laughs> with all that, <laughs> why I wanted to play soccer? St- studying yeah, going on, and you know, like yeah. I I loved soccer so much. I mean, soccer was like, yeah, my passion since I was a little kid. And again, it was like I hadn't yet learned about all the activities that I can do in the outdoors. Like I wasn't wasn't brought up around skiing or rock climbing or backpacking. And 
I was exposed to more organized sports and I had an older brother who played soccer and I looked up and adored him so much. And so it's kind of like whatever he did, I wanted to do. And I also just personally loved soccer. I loved being able to put my energy into chasing a ball down the field and working with a team. And I think I learned some of the most valuable lessons that I could as a young person through through working on a team. And yeah, most of my energy went into to soccer and school. And that was kind of my my life for the first chunk of it. And after university, is that when you moved west? I had never been west and I didn't even know what was out there other than taking some geography classes in gosh, probably like middle school, not even high school and or maybe high school. Um, and like filling out states on a map. But other than that, I didn't know anything about landscapes out West. And after college, I was like, I want to learn. I'd studied abroad in New Zealand. And so many people I met over there would ask me about my own home country, about the United States. And I realized how little I knew. And so I kind of made a commitment when I was over there just to come back home and really get to know my own country. And so I had heard, or I was thinking about Peace Corps, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to commit to something for two years. <laughs> and so I was like, a one-year commitment with AmeriCorps, which is similar to Peace Corps, sounded much more attainable to me. And so I did a year of AmeriCorps, and there's on their website, there's basically a drop-down menu, and you can pick whatever state you want to go to. And so I Googled cool states to live in. And a picture of the Grand Canyon popped up and I was like, I want to go there. And so I moved out to Arizona and from there just kept on traveling out West and seeing more and more of it. Where about in uh, Arizona did you go? I was in Tucson, which is kind of funny. Oh. It wasn't next to the Grand Canyon, but. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's interesting. It's a, it's a long story short, but I, I lived there for a spell in, oh, uh, really? in Tucson in 95. Yeah, I loved Arizona. I thought oh. it's so beautiful, the desert. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, I don't know. I felt one with the desert, even though I'm from Montreal. There was something mm. about it. Well, that, that's very interesting. I think there is something about it that just touches our human souls in a way that some other landscapes don't, or depending on where we're at in our life, we need certain things that can be found in those places. But yeah, I've been asking myself that question because there's, I definitely continue to feel drawn to the desert. And I'm like, what is that about? What is it? Because it's special. Well, is it when you're in the desert? I'm trying to figure out when you first heard about this National Outdoor Leadership School. Like It was how, when I was in the desert. Oh, it was. Okay. How, yeah. how did someone tell you about it? I actually got a Facebook adver advertisement because I had started to spend more time outside and was hiking. And I remember seeing people rock climb and I just, it was like this whole new world to me. And I'm sure I had done some Googling on my computer or okay. something where like then you know how the internet <laughs> yeah. tracks everything. And that's, that's right. <laughs> I started getting <laughs> these advertisements from, from Knowles and because I had done an Amer a year of AmeriCorps, I got a $6,000 education award at the end of that. And this advertisement said, we'll double your education award from AmeriCorps to do one of our courses. And I was like, what is, of course, there was probably a picture of like a somebody backpacking in this majestic mountain landscape. And I had to click on it. And I'm like, what is this? And it was 
just like too good to be true. And actually in Tucson, they had, they have a Knowles base down in Tucson. And so I went and I visited over there and it just kind of just kept aligning. And I was like, this is something that I have to do. I just felt it in every fiber of my being. In that ad, did they tell you it was 80, 89 days? Um, They said to do any of their courses, I believe. And so they have a whole bunch of different courses um, everywhere from like two weeks to a year long. And so it was me sorting through um, the different courses and finding out which one that I wanted to take. Good Lord. I mean, so I'm (laughs) guessing you have to, it sounds like a lot of gear that you need for this course. Am I right? Yeah. I like, I had no clue at first. I remember going into REI and saying, Hey, I want to backpack and I'm going to be doing this course. Like I only have enough money to buy one thing. (laughs) What should I buy? (laughs) And they were like, well, you're, you're going to need all of it. (laughs) I was like, well, (laughs) what's the first thing? And the first thing I bought was a sleeping pad for the ground. I can't remember if it was a sleeping pad or sleeping bag, but yeah, then I built it up from there. Okay. Now I'm still trying to understand this course. So do you do any, you're not, are you every day out in the wild or is there some like class classwork? The first 10 days we were getting our wilderness first responder certification. So that was intensive. We're in this little building. I'm not even sure if there was heat in it, but we were up in Wyoming in the middle of winter. And so it still had an element of discomfort to it, but we were inside a building for those first 10 days. And then we spent the next two weeks in the Wyoming range, skiing, backcountry skiing, digging snow pits or digging like snow huts to live in. Um, uh, I think yes. call yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because in that article, there's a photo of you and some of your classmates and they're saying you're in a snow cave and that you're four, yeah. <laughs> four to a snow cave. So what, yeah. are, are you supposed to stay in that cave? What are they? Yeah, doing? we stayed in there, I think for like three nights what? Um, until we would move to a new location and build another one. What do you, <laughs> I mean, okay, let's forget the elements overcoming elements. What do you do for boredom? Do you get bored in a snow cave? Yeah. I mean, we weren't in the snow. We were pretty much only in there at night to sleep. But then throughout the day, we'd either be like learning lessons like about avalanche safety or about how to give feedback or like learning how to communicate as a team or as a leader or we were out there skiing. And most people that came in knew how to ski. I was like brand new to skiing. And so having those instructions were super helpful. But we were also just constantly moving So like, yeah, staying in one place for three nights and then we'd be breaking down the camp, moving everything, spend like one or two days traveling again until we got to our next site. And it takes hours and hours to rebuild our next snow cave. And then like the kitchen area, we have to dig out a whole kitchen area. So sometimes it's just hours shoveling every day and and having lots of laughs in between and connecting with people. Okay, so let me get this straight. So this, so this, this portion of the course took place on Horse Mountain in the Wyoming range. Yep. No, we were just on Horse Mountain one day. Okay. Um, we were traveling all, all uh, around the Wyoming range. How do you? How does someone sleep in a snow cave? Like, I'm a light sleeper, so I, I don't. What are, what are the temperature? What are the temperatures at night? And are you really sleeping? Um, I don't know what the exact temperature was, but it was cold. <laughs> it was super Could cold. You, like, did you sleep? Yeah, we had. I think two negative 20 degree sleeping bags that we zipped together so that we were like in a double bag and then 
sometimes we had our full all of our layers on which could be like five coat layers and then we had our the skins that go on the bottom of our skis and we'd be putting those underneath ourselves so that we can melt all the ice that had formed on them and anything that was wet like wet socks wet shirts we would be tucking in our sleeping bag so that our body heat would dry that out so it was definitely uncomfortable and and yeah, no, this sounds like hell to me, but I'm, but I'm but I mean that as a compliment because I never do this because yeah, it was uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, and there's were you were with fourteen other people. Yep. Did everyone make it? Yeah. Like, you, oh, really? Yeah, okay. we had an incredible group because sometimes people don't. And well, sure, I'd be yeah. gone after the first half day. I think. <laughs> okay. Snow cave? No, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I. There was a moment that I cried. I had this, I don't know if this is TMI, but this is part of it too. Like I had gone to the bathroom and when you're wiping, you can't wear, you don't wear your gloves because you don't want things to get on the outside of your gloves. And so my hands were exposed and I started getting frostbite or thought I was getting frostbite and just the sheer pain of like that. And just the situation, I was like, just trying to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, this is so hard like this moment like I'm freezing and you can't go inside to warm up like you're still out there for another week so you just have to you have to get through those moments and and yeah we all we all suffered quite a bit that first two weeks was hard but it was also great that that was the beginning of the course because going through that together definitely solidified us as a team and everything from then on was felt way easier. Well, yeah, talk about bonding. I mean, you, yeah. how can you? Yeah, not? there's nothing like like suffering outside together. <laughs> no, I, 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 you said they take you through like what to do in case of an avalanche, but um, I'm not too familiar with Wyoming. Are there bears there? Um, there are, but in the winter, they're all hibernating. All hibernating. Okay. So I guess it's just the wolves then you have to worry about, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. We didn't see, okay. I don't think we saw any wildlife except for a couple of birds. So. But, but they, do they give you a shotgun or anything for like, just to scare them off? Like No, or, or, we didn't have any. Yeah. We didn't do anything like that. Really? Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. We care. Did we carry bear spray for something? I don't think so. Just because it was the winter. Okay. Yeah. Now, does someone come get you on, on like day eighty nine? Like, how do you know you're you're done? Does some guy come in and say you all passed, or how how does it work? Yeah. So, well, from like the Wyoming range, we went to canoe down the Green River, and so we were in a vehicle to transport us from one spot to the next. And there was twice because we had four different sections, and so in between two of the sections, we went back to either the original base or a another base to change out gear because we'd have to change like all our winter gear into canoeing gear and get outfitted for that and so yeah I went through that a couple times and then our last section was rock climbing and we had taken a van out to the spot and kind of just stayed and we're cragging in one spot so at the end of that we we drove back to Lander Wyoming where we had started and de-issued all our gear and then yeah, said our goodbyes. And that was super heartbreaking to be over with that. Cause yeah, that was probably the most impactful experience that I've ever had. And I still grieve the the ending of that and still try to figure out how I can live my life in a way that honors that experience and takes bits of that experience into my everyday life. 
Are you saying that once you completed, did did you have a job lined up right away? I actually did. Yeah. I bartended on a train in Alaska right after that. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does the, okay. Is this a moving train? Yeah. It was a moving train. Okay. Yeah. I took a lot of balance to not spill a tray of train. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. A friend had reached out and because I like photography, I think I had been posting pictures on social media and she was a friend I went to college with and she was like, I, it seems like you like traveling and being outside. Like I just found out about this job up in Alaska that I'm going to do. Do you want to join me for it? I was like, heck yeah, I want to go to Alaska. And so I, yeah, straight from Knowles, hopped on a plane, went to Alaska and yeah, started the next thing. And did this uh, train, I mean, did it run a, run a certain route? Yeah, it went from Anchorage into Denali National Park. Oh, really? Yeah. How, how, how long does that take? Uh, I think it was about eight hours. Well, our shift was about eight hours. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, the train might have been just a little shorter than that so that we had time to like set up and break down after the, the guests came on and got off. But <laughs> it, yeah, we were in this big dome. There was two, le- two levels and the bartenders and the rail guides who were like tour guides were on the top in this big glass dome. And so we just got to watch the scenery of Alaska go by as we talked with like a car full of 80 people and gave them drinks and food. And it was a taxing job, like it could be tiring, but it was also very fun. Now, did you, I mean, this is incredible because I I never knew this was a job. All right. (laughs) Now, do you sleep on the train? Like you said, a seven, eight hour shift. So, but are you going... Do you sleep on the train? Like, do you live? No, there? they had a housing for us um, okay. in Healy, Alaska, which if you've ever read Into the Wild is where Christopher McCandles oh, ended yes. up passing away outside of his bus, that famous book. Yes. So yeah, it was in that town, which is a tiny town. We'd sleep there and then we'd come back to Anchorage and most people had their own housing in Anchorage and I did as well. And then we'd stay there and have our off days. I assume you had a lot of time on your off days to see a bit of Alaska? A little bit of time, not too much. It was summers in Alaska are pretty packed with work. Um, So you actually don't get too much free time that people kind of know that going in, you get the endless hours of daylight up there. And so you work all day and adventure at like 8 PM at night for a little bit and then work the next day, usually with just a couple days off. So it sounds like you're telling me you had no time to climb Denali. Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't. Okay. Okay. Were you were you temp- were you tempted or no? At that time, I didn't really think about it. I didn't know too much about mountaineering yet when I had first worked up there. But I'm interested in it. Mountaineering is a skill that I don't don't have yet, but I I want to learn. Yeah, it seems important right now. I had a friend that passed away this year, and he was a mountaineer guide and he always just talked about his love for the mountains and in a way of honoring him, I, I want to experience more of, of what he experienced and the love that he found out there. So he worked up on Denali and there's a little piece of him up there. So I would love to climb that someday. All right. And now after Alaska, do you go, where do you go? After Alaska, I worked in wilderness therapy down in Utah. Okay. Elements Traverse and yeah. Now it was, are these the two twin women that you heard about? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Okay. Sorry, yeah, I, I sorry to get ahead of myself. Okay. No, yeah. tell me, uh, tell me an order. <laughs> 
yeah, I did a, bun- a bunch of bouncing. So okay. <laughs> I'm like trying to, for the length of this, not make it like too much into each one, I guess. Okay. But yeah, wilderness therapy was, was really impactful, or very impactful field to work in. I, they gave so much training to us and it, Knowles was where I started learning how to effectively communicate with a team and how to give feedback and really how to start loving myself and like doing some, some self-reflection and then working in wilderness therapy, even furthered that knowledge and those tools um, by giving us a lot of training to work with um, students who were coming up against their own mental health issues or addictions or, you know, things that honestly, most of us face, but there was just kind of a specific category for that, or they're at a point where they really needed some intervention. So we'd take them out. They'd be in the back country for 90 days usually. So same as the Knowles course, but then as guides, we would shift in and out for a week. So we'd be in the field for a week and then out for a week. Okay, for for our listeners, so how would you define wilderness therapy, like exactly? Yeah, it is kind of a hard thing to to put into. Well, well, you did mention. Well, maybe this would help because you mentioned in that your article for Outside Magazine that you did have a client that had a breakdown in a remote environment. Mm -hmm. So I guess you would have to know what to do and how to handle that situation, right? Yeah, we. Yeah, because we can have students out there who are feeling suicidal and having the or or wanting to harm others. And yeah, usually these behaviors come from some unmet need, like starting from childhood. And so helping them to discover that for themselves, like discover the truth for themselves. But the reality is that those things usually come up when they're in these remote locations. They're in this treatment type setting. And a lot of them don't want to be there where there is a lot of resistance especially at the beginning and so when they're challenged whether it's through a hike or through building a fire or interactions with another students like shit comes up and those behaviors they come up and as guides like we have communication with base and with people outside of the field but we have to know how to have those conversations with the students or at some points it's not having a conversation it's through body language or if it comes down to it like having to de-escalate a student and hopefully never have to put hands on but if you're in a situation where a student's about to harm themselves or others like we have to know how to keep them safe and how to keep everybody else safe and so we had tons and tons of training around all of that and that's I'm still passionate now I'm passionate about we do such a good job showing up for the students how can I bring in something that that helps guides show up for each other and for themselves because we need the support just as much as we give the support to especially working in that field okay yeah now I hope I'm not jumping around too much here because earlier in the interview you mentioned you did a semester abroad in New Zealand correct yep why why New Zealand I have to acknowledge my my privilege also. I'll say the fact that like I had a family who who supported me to take a trip like that. Um, and I didn't really even know what New Zealand was, but there was quite a few friends who had been talking about New Zealand. And I finished all of my credits except for, I think like I needed two or three more credits to graduate for my last semester. And so I was like, you know, I, I want to, 
study abroad and I want to experience a world that's different than the way that I've been living. And I got to work with some youth out there and do like a, an internship instead of like going to a university and taking more classes. They transferred the credits so that this internship working with kids could, could work into, into that. And I was curious about public health because at that point I was like, I don't know if I want to become a physician anymore. Like I don't, that doesn't feel like that's calling me. Um, I want to experience other parts of the world before I go on a fast track. That's going to be the rest of my life. And so I was curious about working with people, public health, and this internship showed up in New Zealand and kind of just went without having much background in, in New Zealand itself. Well, you must have liked it there because after your Knowles course, you, you went back to New Zealand, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Well, you might not remember, I mean, why you went, but I'm sure you remember the jet lag, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I, I spent a year in Australia and I, unfortunately I never got to go to New Zealand because New Zealand's mm-hmm. even further than Australia, but I, I never uh, went to Australia. So oh, okay. I'll have to swap stories at some point. <laughs> well, a lot of my Kiwi friends told me that when they visit Canada, they don't feel like they've gone anywhere because it's the same as New Zealand. So oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I take a yeah. little com- comfort in that. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> but uh, no, but it does, it does look beautiful in New Zealand. So, and then uh, I think it's after New Zealand, you, you, you hop around some more, I think four different States, and then you meet someone in North Idaho that tells yep. you about the two twin women. Yeah. So I did, yeah, quite a bit more bouncing and guiding and working in the outdoors went to New Zealand the second time and I just felt burnt out and I, I still love working outdoors and guiding, but I, the lack of consistent community was starting to really wear on me. And also because I, I don't think I had really solid roots in my own like family system and upbringing that I almost felt as if I was like floating like, I was like, I don't know if I, like, I yes, I belong everywhere. And at the same time, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. And so it really just started hitting me that last time that I was in New Zealand. And so I came, a friend invited me to start up a wilderness therapy program in North Idaho in Sandpoint. Um, and so I ended up coming up here and that ended up not panning out kind of through the the pandemic. And I was just at a low point again. Like I wanted... I wanted more purpose. I felt like a floater and, and I was, yeah, just at a pretty low point. And a couple of friends introduced me to these twin women who teach these classes. They call them responsible living. Really it's about learning your own story and listening to your own child heart and giving you a safe place to, to learn how to process emotions is for myself. Like all of anger and sadness had been shoved down most of my life or, or the people around me didn't have the right tools to know how to create a space for expressing those. And so for the first time in my life, like as an adult, I found these women who gave me that space and to, to find myself and to dump out things that had been stored within my body for years and years. And I had a lot of healing through that experience with them. And, and I am grateful that, that I came up here and got to, to connect with them. And this is something we should have all learned when we were younger, right? Like had, yeah. had we all had we only met people like these uh, these 
two twin women, then our lives would have been <laughs> probably totally. easier, right? Okay. And like, yeah, the tools that they taught were were great, but they're also nothing extraordinary. They're so simple, but it's these things that we we often miss when we we have our own experiences that we've stored up for for a long time, and then and we do pass those on to the people around us um, without intentionally meaning to do that. But yeah, we all we all have our stories and we all have our woundings, and we just need people to to listen to them. I've been a frequent visitor to your Erin Marie designs. So I, I found I found it funny when you said you didn't know anything about landscapes because you paint quite beautiful landscapes. So okay. I've always been fascinated by people who could draw or paint because mm. I can't. So is that something you always did uh, as you were growing yeah. up? No, not that's been like a yeah recent since I started traveling. I think when I went out to Arizona for that first time and then going forward, I just became amazed with these landscapes and these wide open places that were so diverse and I just yeah absolutely fell in love with our natural world and capturing it through first it was photography and then over the pandemic was when I picked up watercoloring I took a a short course online and learned the basics and then just started playing around with it and yeah it's been a really good good way to express some artistic outlets okay i can just quickly walk me through how watercolor works like do you do you draw it and then you paint it yeah i think everybody does a little different but i like to usually pencil something in first like pretty light and then i go back and like erase it so that the lines are super light Um, and then you want to start with the lightest color first and then build up to the darkest which is tricky because once you paint something dark, you can't go back over it with a light color. So I've had many paintings where it's like, <laughs> I just like went way too dark on, on that line. And now I got to make the whole painting around it darker or else you're going to zoom in on that dark spot. So it, yeah, it's tricky, but it's fun too. And it's fun using water as an element to paint. I love the one of the two bald eagles in flight. Now, is this something that you oh, yes. you witness? Because it's my dream to see uh, eagles in the wild. So is this mm-hmm. something you, you've seen over the years? Yeah, so that's actually the view from one of the twins' houses. Oh, really? Uh, where she held or where she still holds all her, her workshops. And gosh, yeah, she's got the most beautiful place that looks out on Lake Pondere. And there's always bald eagles flying over that spot and all around the sandpoint area but for some reason they they just love that spot right in front of her house and so that that painting was an inspiration or that place was an inspiration for that painting and those two eagles represent two people that she had lost in her life um so every time she sees two eagles together she's like oh there's jim and steve and so i i painted that for her those eagles oh, are oh really wow yeah. no, it's it's beautiful thanks I probably forgot to ask you this because I, I keep going back to your your outside article, which caught my attention. But did they like? Do you just did you just submit and they took it? Like I don't know how that works. You yeah, know? I'm I'm not, I'm not a writer. I'm in English literature, but I'm not a, I'm not a writer. So I'm just it's a really genuine curiosity question I'm asking you. Like, yeah, I'm still figuring out how to navigate that whole world. Honestly, like, but... But what's it like getting published in a major? Uh... I mean, a major outfit like that. It's been awesome. I actually pitched that piece to Outside Magazine like 
last year at some point and never heard back, which was kind of expected. Um, but then when my friend Luke passed away, I was, I'm Facebook friends with an editor for climbing magazine because I'd done some photography with her years ago. And she reached out when she saw that my friend passed and asked if he should go and they're climbing magazines yearly tribute to climbers that they lost. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I asked if I could write a piece for him and she was on board with that. And so I got my first online publication writing a a piece for him with climbing magazine. And from there I was like, Hey, I have more that I want to write. Like, are you open to hearing my ideas? And she said, yes. And I pitched this idea about my experience in the guiding industry and she was on board with it and we worked on that piece for probably like a month and I loved it like I just I was in that flow state and like the rush of adrenaline and just feeling like I was doing something purposeful and then she had sent me an email a couple weeks back and was like hey outside wants to to pick up this piece and are you okay with that I was like absolutely And it's, yeah, it's been awesome. And I'm doing an editorial internship right now for, for Jaunt Media based in Western Colorado and getting some more experience interviewing people and writing pieces about sharing their story. And I absolutely love doing that. And I want to do more of that and hopefully at some point create a book where I'm collecting guide stories and just talk about the reasons why we love it and some of the challenges. And yeah, I want to keep, keep rolling with that. And with photos, correct? Yeah, for sure. Now, now are you self-taught? Because I'm, again, I'm looking at your, your website here now and you're, you know, you have adventure and people. So are you self-taught or do you have to take courses yeah, to think... be this good? I mean, because my, <laughs> my photos don't look like this. I think <laughs> so... I took a course online as well. Like a, in, I didn't know anything about exposure or aperture or f-stop, like nothing. That's but probably I, why my photos don't look like yours. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a, it's a steep learning curve, like anything. I mean, there's a whole new language to learn around it. And I think I've always naturally had this like this eye for for beauty in the world and and then finding the way to do it correctly on the camera i'll say because i hate snow and ice yet your photos i don't know if you're in, in, in alaska you're there's people kayaking it looks like a glacier yeah. where, where is this where did you take That's, these um there's actually a big blow up print of that right above my head right now on the okay. wall that's in the prince william sound okay yeah, yeah i I hate snow and ice, but these are like too beautiful. Like you can't look away. Okay. So yeah. Wow. Uh, you actually make me like snow and ice. Looking yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to Alaska, especially just for the photo opportunities, not just, but yeah. Every time I look at my Alaska photos, I'm like, oh, it's just unworldly beautiful. No, it is. I'll say that. I've never been, but uh, I must. Did you see the Northern Lights while you were there? Please say yes. Yeah. A couple of times. Oh, great. Yeah, when I came back the second summer, my manager had came come to pick me up from the airport and it was at like 3 a.m. and we're driving down the Seward Highway and there's the Northern Lights for the first time and we like got out of the car and I was just, and I was emotional and I was like, I'm meant to be here. I'm supposed to come back. Like what a welcome, like just Northern Lights for the first time and the most beautiful place and yeah, it was something. 
It felt they rolled it out for you, right? Yeah, it felt like it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated it. And recently, so not only are you, you know, freelance journalism, photography, watercolor, you be- recently became a certified yoga instructor. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, just finished like a um, month, month and a half ago. Now, how long does that take to become? It was 200 hours. And 200. so we did it um, every other weekend over three months. Oh, really? Yeah, which it was great timing for me because I had ACL and meniscus surgery in July. And then the yoga training started in September. And so I got to to not only work on like my yoga, but heal my knee and the rest of my body and learn about how to align my body throughout those three months. And at first I was resistant to doing the training at that time. So I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if my knee can do it. My PT was like pretty unsure too, but I just decided to go for it. And I'm so glad I did because I've learned so much about healing my own body and how to be gentle on it through the process. And I'm hoping to continue sharing that through through teaching other people now because I have very firsthand experience of being injured and doing yoga and how benefit, beneficial it can be with awareness. Now, since you mentioned the in- injury, and I've always been fascinated by injuries, and we mentioned that you were team captain of the soccer mm-hmm. team and university, what, does, does this injury have anything to do? Is it soccer related in any way? Yep. Playing okay. soccer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first, first love. Okay. So I, know. I think that's how it works. Like everyone's yeah. like, did you do it skiing? I was like, no, I was playing okay. soccer. They're like what? Why are you playing soccer? <laughs> well, yeah, because of your background and you know, your, your wilderness yeah. training, one would thought you fell from a rock or you yeah. Yeah, skiing. Well, it's like my two different lives, like coming together. Like my first life was all around soccer and school. And then I got into the outdoors and of course I injured myself playing soccer. And yeah, people are like, what? <laughs> okay. And then, so, but, so while you were injured, you were, um, so you were taking the yoga course while you were coming off the injury? Yep. Yeah. It was okay. like two months after the surgery um, oh, and I was wow. non-weight bearing for the first six weeks. So I'd really just started learning, relearning to walk after six weeks. I mean, I hadn't been like paralyzed for months, but still like six weeks of being in a brace, like it makes things stiff and atrophies the muscles and that first step that I took was like whoa this feels really weird on my body so kind of coming back to that and and learning how to mindfully move through yoga and being able to move other parts of my body and like incorporate my whole body has been so good PT is great but it's pretty isolated on like the area that you injured and so yoga has been a great way to incorporate my whole body and give me something to do too. Cause I can't go into the mountains yet um, until like May. And so, yeah, it's been helpful mentally and physically. Tell me, Erin, what are your, what are your thoughts going forward from here? I'm hoping to right now taking this pause from like working within the guiding industry has been very helpful to draw in like these other strings from my life, drawing in like mental health and my creativity, writing and photography, and trying to figure out a way to blend all of that. And something that I really want to do, and I don't know exactly how it's going to look yet, is showing up to support the guiding community um, and kind of filling in those gaps. 
that are missing to support us when our job is is to show up and support other people, put a lot of of heart and soul into that. And I think on the flip side, there's still quite a bit of work that can do with it that can be done within this industry to support ourselves and each other. And that goes into like financially and providing healthcare and mental health resources, but also learning how to build sustainable community through that. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of ideas that I have within that. And this writing this article has opened up a lot of conversations, including this one with you right now, people are reaching out and saying, thank you for expressing those things. I felt that way 30 years ago when I was a guide or now currently as I'm a guide, I mean, just having those conversations and collaborating and seeing how we can show up and support each other um, and maybe incorporating some of these tools that I learned from the twins is, is an idea for, for moving forward because those, those tools really helped me. And I, a thought that I'd had is if I had learned this stuff earlier before I was a wilderness therapy guide or a recreational guide, I just, I could have shown up in those spaces a lot better and I could have held space for, for people in a lot more open of a, a space instead of kind of being stuck in my own insecurities or worrying about saying the right thing or, or saying the wrong thing. Yeah. Kind of going off on a tangent now, but. Oh, no, no. It's all <laughs> well, well said and well put better than Thank I you. could have ever said. <laughs> really. Yeah. So yeah, figuring out how to show up, show up for people who show up for other people as a living. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Very well put. Thank you. One thing, Aaron, uh, before we go, would you mind telling me again about your, your idea for, for your book about uh, wilderness guides? Do you, do you have a, would you mind answering that? Uh, do you have a bit more time? Yeah. So yeah, this is a new idea that, that came to me and it really just, it felt right. Like one of those moments that just feels right within my soul and like something that I need to do, but is collecting stories from guides and having these conversations, talking about the reasons that we love love the work that we do and how it's not just work it's a lifestyle and I think there's common threads among people who are drawn into this type of work and I'm curious to explore deeper into all of those roots and talk about some of the hard things some of the fun memories and just make it like this well-rounded book as a tribute to people who guide for them to see themselves within other stories Um, and then also for for people who maybe have a loved one that work in this field and they don't they don't totally understand it because that's a big piece of it too, is like coming home to a loved one and struggling to share the experience that you just had out there in the field. And I think a book of a collection of stories could be a really awesome way to, to bridge that gap. And so I'm, yeah, in the beginning phases of it, but I, I just want to say here too, that if you or, or anyone you know of is a, a guide or has a story that they're really passionate about sharing, to reach out and let's have a conversation. And even if it's just to connect, um, I'd love that. But yeah, eventually want to write write a book. So reach out. Okay, we will. Yes, we will. Uh, we will put that and your your links to your your social media so people could see your Instagram and then they can go to Linktree to see your climbing magazine articles, your published writings, your beautiful photography and watercolors. We'll put all that in your show notes if that's okay with you. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. 
Well, Aaron, this has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, talk to us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg, for for reaching out and creating the space for conversation because it's it's important. Connection is the most important thing. Uh, thank you. I cannot wait to see what you do next. Thanks. Well, everyone, that was Aaron Phillips from Sandpoint, Idaho, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Say bye, Aaron. Bye.